Well, good morning, Pursuit. I uh, hope you put your answer to the question of the day in the comments. It's been really fun seeing more interaction online and, uh, and connecting with your answers. And I think I'll probably touch on my answers as we go through the sermon, so I'm not going to give them away right now. Uh, but uh, today we're talking uh, about prayer. We've kind of come through a lot of conversation. And I think last week our, our conversation about prayer, about uh, contending prayer and asking God for things that may, maybe seem like they might be against His will, sometimes in fighting for some of those things in our relationship with him the fact that he invites us into the room wants to hear from us wants to be in relationship with us uh, wants to give us good gifts that's all part of it uh it led to a lot of conversations i had this week with people who were like wait how do i reconcile all that how does that work and uh so i hope that that challenged you last week today we're going to kind of start in a conversation about what i think is one of the biggest problems with prayer uh in our in our country maybe in our time i think a lot of people struggle with the uh, concept of well, what if my prayers aren't answered and what happens when bad things happen to me and yet I prayed but nothing seemed to come of that and I think this is one of those things that kind of touches on everyone and it's kind of a contemporary uh, issue as we'll talk about more in the, in the sermon here but it's something that uh, I've found to be more and more of a problem for a lot of people who struggle with faith and look I, I want you to be honest with where you're at like if you struggle with faith that's okay Asking questions and even asking God those questions, it's totally okay. God is okay to deal with your doubts. Uh, but this, I think, is one of those doubts where a lot of people really struggle. If we've been through something difficult and we didn't see where God's presence was really in, active in that, those moments with us, and we didn't see how he changed something, it really affected how we saw him. And I know, for me, I've shared a little bit about this before, but where I learned about sort of desperate, unanswered prayer, uh, for me... You know, I had a pretty good life until about uh, six years ago. I went through something where I found myself in a desperate moment asking for God's uh, intervention, and, and really it felt like he was not answering those prayers. I know six years ago, Marty and I had a perfect, beautiful little baby girl. Uh, and as a dad, you know, there's something about holding your firstborn son that is pretty amazing. Um, and I love my son, but there was something different about holding a little baby girl a couple years later uh, that I was, forget it, it was over. Like anything she wanted, she could have. Yes was going to be my answer. Um, there was something different about connecting with your daughter as an infant. And um, we brought her home. We did what parents do when they have an infant. We were bleary-eyed, no sleep, living on adrenaline, uh, having this baby that wouldn't uh, wouldn't sleep. And we were sustained by her cuteness and her newness, and it was okay for a little while, where she would basically, every night, every time she would take a nap, would lay down to sleep and wouldn't sleep longer than one or two hours at a time. At first, we were dealing with this okay because we were younger, we were on adrenaline, like I said, she was cute, it was okay. But then it started to stretch into a month. And then it stretched into two months, and then three, and then four. You know, and at this point, I'm back to work. Marty is trying to deal with a three-year-old, uh, you know, uh, hyperactive uh, little boy. And trying to, you know, stay on a feeding schedule and a napping schedule with her. And, you know, we felt like at about six months that, like, our life was essentially completely out of control. I was at a point where I was not in control of my emotions. A at any given time, I could blow up on anyone for any reason because I hadn't slept in six months and I felt weary. You know, my wife, uh, Marty, you know, she was 
fighting depression at this time because it just felt like there was no uh, ability to kind of get past what we were dealing with. Literally, we, one of us had to stay up at night and, and put her back to bed over and over and over, and she never, ever slept more than about two hours. Most of the time, we would have her sleeping in um, a rocker, which was kind of on an angle, and that was about all we could get out of her was an hour or two. So we'd get an hour or two to take a shower or to take a nap or to you know, do something around the house or to spend more time with Miles. And it got to the point where we were just sort of beyond ourselves. I was struggling as a youth pastor. At that time, I had a couple of my volunteers sit me down and say, what the heck is wrong with you? Are you like the ministry suffering because of your own personal ability to put effort and energy into this ministry? And I was like, I just don't have it, right? I was at a point where I was going to snap with anybody who said anything wrong. I, one of my most dear uh, relationships at the time, I had just went off on a person, just lost my cool, and, and found myself screaming and swearing at someone, like, in the middle of church. Like, it was not a good situation to be in. I was just, like, completely out of control. And uh, we were struggling. And I remember there was one night where Marty, I, I just wanted to give her some sleep. I mean, I know she was going to... Uh, you know, not sleep very well because you know, we were both struggling at the time. But I was like, I'm just going to stay with the baby all night. I laid down next to her crib and she started to cry an hour later. I picked her up and I'm walking around the nursery. And I remember uttering this like very desperate prayer uh, to God, which now I look back and I think, how in the world? Like I was, a, I'm a little bit ashamed about what I prayed and how I prayed. But I remember saying, please, God, please. Give us, some, uh, give us some rest. Give us the ability to, to move on here. What is going on? And I remember having this conversation with God. That would have been fine. But I remember saying, God, you, you called me to ministry. You put me in this position. You have you know, given me this ministry with all these people. Aren't you supposed to take care of me? You know, I'm, I'm at my wit's end. Marty's getting more depressed. Um, we need you to do something here. You know, at the time, we had been to the doctors a bunch of times, and we hadn't really gotten any real idea of what was going on. Uh, the doctor was like, yeah, it's normal baby stuff. And we were like, we don't think it is. We're pretty sure it's not normal baby stuff. Like, it might actually be, a, there might be a real problem. Well, it turns out, a um, couple months later, you know, she was diagnosed with having some acid reflux issues. We started to work on that. And it turns out her, her head was deformed from being in the uh, bouncer instead of being in a crib, instead of having enough tummy time where anytime we flipped over on her tummy, she just screamed and screamed and screamed. Her head was a little bit uh, deformed, had to wear a helmet for a couple months to fix some of those issues. And so we just found ourselves in a place where things were just not getting better. They were not getting better. We kept praying. We kept praying in desperation. I kept praying. I even used my pastor card with God. Hey, God, you owe me one. I'm a pastor. I followed you into ministry. Don't don't you give like special dispensations to people who are doing ministry? Like everything I could think of. And I don't know if you've been there. We're like, you're in a situation where it's out of control. Something's going horrible. And you find yourself desperately calling out to God. And he feels like he's not listening. He's not bringing you any uh, amount of, uh, he's not bringing a fix into the situation. He's not stepping in. He's not changing the outcome. And you're desperate and you're de <coughs> desperate and you're desperate. And eventually, Things either go get worse or they eventually will change. For us, it did change for the better, but it took another six months of desperation before we found ourselves in a place where we could look back and have any perspective. And I know some of us have been in situations where things didn't change or got worse, 
or we lost someone or the thing that we desperately prayed for, we're still praying for. You know, what do we do with that? What do we do with unanswered prayer? I feel like we've all been there. As a pastor, I've seen some absolutely heartbreaking situations and lives that have been shaken by going through difficult moments. I've, you know, know a father who lost his son to cancer, which is a completely earth-shattering thing to have to go through, and then had a second son diagnosed with cancer. I've been with a mother and father who tried and tried and tried and tried to get pregnant and over years and years and years and finally they got pregnant and they got past the stage where they could you know keep it private and it began it began to be a public thing and they began to tell people about it and again lost uh, a baby to a miscarriage um i've been with uh, a friend who was so close to their mother uh that they were like almost best friends and then within a few months a terrible diagnosis of cancer changed their whole world I've seen brokenness, and I think we all have, that all of us are wondering, why didn't God intervene? Why didn't he do anything? What is he doing? And it's a basic question that I think is one of the biggest problems with our modern faith, and it has caused many people to walk away, and it has certainly caused people, a lot of people who are faithful, to maybe stop praying, to maybe believe that God doesn't, isn't interested, doesn't want to intervene, and isn't there for us. Um, I'm going to look here just at a couple verses from John 14 to 17. It's a section of scripture where Jesus essentially, uh, near his, the end of his life, he gets his disciples together. And this is kind of his final teaching before he goes to the cross with them. It's uh, the teaching uh, that we know very well. It's got some very key passages in it about, I go to a place, I prepare a place for you. Don't worry, don't be afraid. You know, uh, there's a new commandment I give you that's to love one another. Like in this section, Jesus gives some of his biggest and most uh, elaborate teachings to his disciples, kind of like putting the bow on all of his teachings over the years to kind of wrap everything up for them before he goes to the cross. They're feeling nervous. It's, it's an on, ominous setting. Jesus is talking about things that they're not comfortable with. And in this, Jesus kind of throws out this line a couple times, which if you read the Bible like I do, and you believe that what God tells you is true, then you read this and you wonder, how does this make any sense, right? So here's a... Uh, the first one, it's John 14, 12 to 14. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. So like healing and, and setting people free from demons and bringing people back from the dead. Like these are things that Jesus said, we'll do the same stuff. And he says, they'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. You're like, Cool. Right? So when I pray, I'm asking God for something in his name, and he's going to do it. He promises to do it. And he doesn't promise it just once. Look at just a chapter later, a couple verses later, uh, John 15, 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Okay, I can get behind this. Jesus has all this power. He's now saying, I'm going to hand this power over to you. You're going to do some of the same things that I did, maybe even greater things, things I didn't accomplish on earth. You're going to be now using the Holy Spirit the same way that I am. It's going to be indwelling in you, and the Holy Spirit's going to be guiding you and doing things through you that you won't even believe. Awesome. goes on. John 15, verse 16. You did not choose me. I chose you. I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. This is now three times in this section, John 15, 16. We'll go ahead to John 16, verse 23. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask for 
in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. So when I read that, Jesus tells me to ask in his name, and he'll give me the things that I ask for. I, I don't know how else to read this. When I go through this passage, I think to myself, how is this possible? When I've been with people who have gone through things, or you personally are thinking probably about something that you've been through, where you came out kind of questioning God's sovereignty or his power or who he is or what, what is, what's, if his character is good. And you read stuff like this and you think, well, Jesus made it really simple. If you ask, I'll do it. If you ask in my name, I'll do it. It's certainly in his name to ask for your daughter to be healed. It's certainly in his name to ask for your you know, loved one to be cured of cancer. It's certainly in his name to ask you know, for his kingdom to come and for injustices to be corrected and righted. These are all things that seem like they would be in his name, but how does this all work and how do we reconcile what's going on in our world with the very promises of Jesus? I think this is one of these things that all of us deal with, all of us question, all of us are at a point in our lives at some point where we're saying this doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Recently, I read a book called God on Mute, uh, Engaging the Silence of Unanswered Prayer, uh, which is uh, an English author uh, named Pete, and uh, Pete Gregg, and he has written a couple books that I've really loved. He started a 24-7 prayer movement uh, in England, and he's somebody who has written a lot about some of these movements and how to do prayer and how to work through prayer. And he himself uh, had a wife who had a brain tumor, was operated on, and has dealt with debilitating um, issues since then. And he's kind of had to walk through uh, some of these issues, seizures and things like that with her. And, uh, and so now making sense of how he could be the leader of a prayer movement and yet be praying for his own wife and then going through all these things. But it's a really, really great book. But one of the things that he kind of lays out for us is that there's a lot of reasons why our prayers don't get answered. And they're not all because of God's character or because of God's omnipotence or his uh, powerful, his, his ability to be able to change things. I think we often find ourselves asking that question. Well, does God care and is he powerful? And you find yourself at the end of one of these situations asking if he doesn't care or if he doesn't have the ability to change your situation. And neither of those things are true. Okay, there are other things at play. And he lays out 15 reasons why potentially sometimes our prayers go unanswered. Um, today I'm going to give you the first five. I'm going to actually split this into two uh, sermons. So next week I'm going to give you the final ten, which sounds like a lot. Don't worry, it's not going to... Some of those are quicker than the ones I'm going to talk about today. Uh, so he lays out 15 reasons. Essentially what I'm doing for you today is giving you a book report. And <coughs> excuse me, if you uh, want to read this book, I highly recommend it. If you struggle with this issue or you know someone who struggles with this issue, uh, this is a great book to be able to either read or give to someone else. Uh, okay, and so the question is, why does God not always answer our prayers? Sometimes it doesn't have anything to do with his character or with his ability to change things. Uh, it has a lot to do with other things. And so he breaks it down into three uh, reasons why sometimes our prayers go unanswered. Today we're going to look at God's world, and we're going to start with the idea. So there's five here that are under God's world. There's five that are under God's will, and there's five that are under God's war, okay? And so next week we'll talk about God's will and God's war. We're really focused next week on uh, his will and our will as people and the idea of free will coming into the world and creating some of the problems that we have. The fact there are 7 billion free wills operating on the earth, not all of them are good. 
Um, and so that'll answer a lot of questions too. But today, it's really about the world that God set up and how it works. So reasons why he may not answer our prayer. Common sense. And the question is, am I asking God to do something stupid, meaningless, or illogical? Or in his case, you are praying a stupid prayer. Okay, You're asking God to do something for you, and it's a stupid prayer. Um, you know, Don't get mad at me, by the way, for that language that comes straight out of his book. I'm just quoting him. This is sort of like, <coughs> have you ever been sort of somewhere in the middle of the night and you're almost on fumes? I know I was driving one time to Oklahoma and I was in Kansas. We're on the Kansas Turnpike going south. And the, the exits are like redonkulous, right? And you're on a, uh, a road that is a, um, a tollway. So you don't want to get off the tollway, especially because you're in the middle of nowhere and there's literally nothing that you can see. And every, I don't know, 100 miles or so, it feels like longer than that when you have no, there's a little thing in the middle. You kind of get off on the left and get your gas or McDonald's or whatever in the middle of the highway. And have you ever found yourself kind of just going like, okay, God, like I need a gas station. Like I need you to provide, can you get me to the next gas? I don't want to pull over in the middle of Kansas where somebody could murder me and no one would ever see it. Like I don't want to, I don't want to get off the highway because I've already paid a toll and there's nothing out there anyways. It's just cows. Like Please, God, can you bring a gas station? What are, we, what are we actually praying when we say that? Are we asking God to, like, I don't know, supernaturally bring down a gas station that is led by uh, angels who are going to fill up our car before we get to the next? Like, um, are we praying that our car gets a little further on the, the gas that we have in there? Like, is it possible God could do that? Sure, it's possible. Anything's possible. God could manifest a gas station attended by angels on the way to one that you should have known was a certain distance away. Um, it's possible. Uh, some prayers aren't answered because they're just plain stupid, right? Let's, uh, let's be glad that God hasn't answered all of your stupid prayers. I know for me, if God had answered all of my stupid prayers, maybe this is like answering the question of the day, um, I'm glad he hasn't said yes to every prayer. If God had said yes to every prayer, I go back to being a prepubescent teenager. Uh, I would have definitely been married to Cindy Crawford or Kathy Ireland. Uh, I would have died as a teenager because he would have given me a supercar when I was like 14 years old and I would have definitely died in that thing. Um, I would have an awful gaming addiction because I would have had every single video game that ever existed and no limits on how much I could play them. Uh, it would have you know, ruined my life. I would have flunked out of Harvard because... I would have gotten straight A's in high school because every time I would have prayed, God, help me get an A on this test even though I haven't studied or done any work. And then I would have found myself in an Ivy League school just failing because I had gotten through. By It's good sometimes when God doesn't answer our, our prayers the way that we think we want him to. It doesn't make any sense. Sometimes we pray things that are illogical or, or just plain dumb. Um, but I want to stop and say that it's okay and potentially good to pray about inconsequential things, Okay. Don't misunderstand these two things. I don't want you to stop praying about things that seem small. I want you to not pray prayers that are stupid, okay? And there's a difference between these things. These inconsequential prayers, things that as you go through your day, as you're dialoguing with God, become part of your prayer life or your conversation, actually build intimacy and relationship, okay? Um, and I don't want to discourage you from that. I'm going to read you a quote from the book. It's not on our, our slideshow here, but... Uh, this is what he says. He says, why then should we bother praying about the small things of our lives, right? It, it feels like inco inconsequential or stupid. He says, first, we should pray about them simply because we can. It's a privilege to be heard by God when we tell him what's troubling us, and it's natural for us to ask for his help. Conversation is the mark of any loving, 
living relationship, especially conversation about trivial matters. Second, God will sometimes surprise us by answering one of our tiny prayers in a supernatural way, perhaps because he understands that it is not a tiny prayer, that it has major implications, unbeknownst to us, for our real lives. So sometimes we pray about something that seems inconsequential, but it's not inconsequential. And he will answer that thing. Third, praying about tiny things in our lives opens our eyes to the hidden myriad of God's daily blessings, which enables us to live with greater gratitude and so it's, it's a chance for us to be thankful for all the things that he does do for us that seem small. If you want to find yourself praying for really big things and seeing God come through in really big things, you might want to start with praying for really small things and watching him be faithful in those. Daily conversation is like the cornerstone to creating intimacy in any relationship. Nobody in the world knows which bowl I like to eat chili at in my house and how I want to make my chili Right after it's been done, you know it's chili, then it's cheese. The cheese has got to melt because it's hot. You know, sour cream on top of that, hot sauce on top of that, Fritos on top of that. Nobody in the world knows that that's how I make my chili except for my wife. Why? Because we know everything about each other. Because we have intimacy in our relationship. Because we share all kinds of details that seem inconsequential, that aren't important, but because we're in an intimate relationship, those details get shared that no one else knows. Are they all important? No. Are they all, you know, going to be like someday really going to make a difference in someone's life? No. The way I make my chili doesn't, doesn't matter. It doesn't, really doesn't matter. But if you drop chili off someone's house, you better, it better be Fritos, hot sauce, sour cream, cheese. I'm just throwing that out, I'm just throwing that out there. Intimacy is built through some of these conversations. And we should be talking to God about the inconsequential things in our lives. doesn't mean I'm going to pray for him to miraculously throw a gas station in my path. It's potentially part of his plan to make me run out of gas and walk three miles to that gas station and come back so that I won't do it again in another more important moment. That's okay. That could be what he's doing, right? That's a stupid prayer for me to say, just make angels put gas in my car on the way to the gas station. But it's not inconsequential for me to be praying about the details of my life. God cares about those things and he's in those detailed moments. And sometimes... It seems like he's not interested, um, or it seems like we're being too, you know, ridiculous in what we're asking for, uh, and we don't want to pray about those things. And I would say this comes out of that quote: "Conversation is the mark of any loving, living relationship, especially conversation about trivial matters." Okay, God wants to have those conversations with you, those inconsequential things that don't seem like a big deal, because that's part of building relationship and intimacy with God. We talk about this all the time, relationship, intimacy, knowing God, being in relationship with him. It's a really amazing way to continue to be in relationship with him. Okay, so common sense. Number two, God's world. Uh, This is part of the way he set up the world. Sometimes I pray about things and they're a contradiction. Are my prayers likely to be conflicting with those of someone else? Like we always joke in my family about the fact that I get the best parking spots. And I always say when I pull into a, perfect parking spot right by the front somebody goes man either my mom or or my wife or my dad like man you always get the best parking spots and i always just say look man i'm all prayed up like it's some sort of reward for being a holy person okay and i have a whole a whole idea that i could i could rabbit trail about how why people get good parking spots it actually has a lot to do with how you look at a parking lot and think about how people think about 
where they're going to park and do something that is against the grain. Anyways, I got a whole thing. If you want to talk about it, I'd love to. But I think we agree, right, that your prayer life doesn't get you a good parking spot. Um, like, what if there are two people praying for a great spot at the same time and there's only one, one spot? Like, who gets the parking spot? Does the bride get the sunny day or does the farmer get the rain for crops when they both pray, one prays for a sunny day for her wedding and the farmer prays for rain for the crops? Who, who gets it? How does God answer that? I pray that Tua won't throw another interception of the Bills. My friend halfway across the country prays that the Bills will run up the score, which one of us gets what we want. Tua threw like four interceptions, so it wasn't me. Uh, the police officer, if we're going to do a more serious situation, prays that she will have bravery to run into a dangerous, life-threatening situation while her husband prays to keep her out of that situation and return her home safely that night. What about an Israeli mother who prays that there will be no more suicide bombers and a Palestinian mother who prays that her land won't be occupied any longer? Or two people who pray on different sides of the world for a limited number of vaccines? Or the West prays for economic recovery and someone living in a third world uh, prays for fair distribution of wealth in our world? Like There are times when we pray things where there's someone else praying the exact opposite thing that these two uh, things are, are contradictions and how is God going to decide which one to answer yes to or no to or both or none. Like sometimes we pray and, and it's a contradiction to someone else. We pray things that would be unlikely for God to be able to grant both. And these are matters that are trivial and matters that are large. We say, yes, Lord, but not, not me. It's okay to, give others, uh, to not give others what they're praying for as long as you give me what I'm, I'm praying for. Should we ask, potentially, are my prayers likely to conflict with someone else? Help me see the world through their eyes. How could I be a servant to them? And being a servant starts with sacrifice. In trivial things, that's easy. You know, there's two people going for a parking spot. You allow the other person to have it. That's the right thing to do as a Minnesotan. I've learned that. On the East Coast, you get out with a weapon and you tell the other guy to take a hike, right? But out here, you give away the parking spot because you guys are nice and kind and sacrificial. Um, do I actually believe that God cares about the Dolphins game or about giving out parking spots? No, I don't. But I believe there are times when my prayer can change from give me this to help me see someone else's perspective. Sometimes the no that you're getting is because it's contradictory to someone else's yes. That's just life. That's just part of the... Uh, the world that we live in. God's world is set up in a specific way. Sometimes he can't say yes to two different people praying two different prayers. Third one is laws of nature. Are my prayers potentially detrimental to the natural order or to the lives of others? And I think this one is, is a little bit tough. This was a difficult one to wrap our head around. But for, if I'm on a plane that's about to crash, for instance, and I pray, God, keep this plane from crashing. Essentially, what am I asking for? This might go back to an illogical prayer in the beginning. I'm asking for God to suspend gravity. You know, God has set the world up. The natural order of the world operates in a certain way. He created it that way. He created the laws. He created the, the natural order of things. And he doesn't really always want to intervene if he can avoid it. This is what C.S. Lewis had to say. He says that God can and does on occasions modify the behavior of matter 
and produce what we call miracles is a part of the Christian faith. But the very conception of a common and therefore stable world demands that these occasions should be extremely rare. I'm not telling you not to pray for the miracle, but I'm telling you sometimes we pray for something that God doesn't necessarily want to do because he's created the world in a specific way. And he wants to let the world uh, do what he's created it to do and act the way he's created it to act and follow the rules that he's created for it. God created our, rule, our, our world with those laws and made it good and allows it to work. Does he have the ability to control nature? See stilled storm, walk on water, like see parted seas. There's a lot of things in the Bible where he does intervene. I mean, sun stands still at one point. Like he does intervene in nature. It's absolutely possible. Miracles are a thing that happen. But does he always want to? Imagine if he had said yes to every time someone prayed against a storm. Do you know what that would do to our global climate if every single time someone prayed, stop that storm, stop that hurricane, stop that thing, stop, if, if every time we prayed like in, in April, like God, just make it 80 degrees and make it feel like we don't live in the Arctic tundra or God, not one more ounce of snow again this year. I can't, I can't even... Well, you know what would it, that would do to the global climate? Of course, he has to let the world react the way that he's created it to react. And no, uh, you have to understand that sometimes your no is connected to the way that God created his world. That yes, he steps in. Yes, he has all that power. But he doesn't always exercise it, and he doesn't always stop some of the things that are, are going to be coming or happening. That when we ask for prayers that are outside of his created uh, world that those things are very very rare those are miracles and miracles happen it's not that we shouldn't ask okay it's not that we can't ask it's not that it's not good for us to ask but when our prayer goes unanswered we should understand that it's possible god wants to continue to let his world operate the way he created it to operate next one uh, number four life is tough and you're like this is what we pay you for like this is this is the thing yeah Life is tough. And I ask the question, am I expecting God to spare me from stuff that's just common human experience because of the fall, because of the brokenness of our world, because of sin in our world, right? A lot of things in our world don't operate correctly, and it's common human experience. And I don't think we always have really good perspective when it comes to this. For hundreds or thousands of years ago, life expectancy was super low. Childbirth was dangerous. Survival uh, wasn't a sure thing. You know, people didn't live as long. Medical intervention didn't exist the way it does today. Imagine all the times that you went to the emergency room in your life and someone intervened to save your life, not having that then and all those times where you would have potentially died before you even got to this moment or before you even got to, you know, losing that person to cancer or losing that person to a terrible circumstance. The world was completely different hundreds or even thousands of years ago. Here's another example. We have a, an entire generation of children who have never lived in a, a world where they have known a significant world war. They've grown up with peace. They kind of are in a place where their parents have protected them from everything and given them everything. And they've never had a war. And they've never had to wonder where things are coming from. We've always been able to go to a store and get bread or go down to the food shelf and get bread or have someone help us out when we couldn't afford something or do something. We've never lived in a a richer time, a richer community than, than, than exists right now in this moment. So what have we created? We've created people 
who don't have an understanding of suffering in our world because they've never experienced it. The first time suffering does come into their world, it kind of rocks them because we haven't prepared them to deal with that. More, more on that in a second. We've started to think that it's unfair when life is hard or broken in our worlds. It's ultimately a selfish, please hear me when I say this, because I don't want to make light of whatever you're going through. In fact, I want you to understand that whatever you're dealing with, I feel empathy for your situation. And we are called to, as Christians, with the Holy Spirit living in us, show up on God's behalf when other people are struggling or going through difficult times. And none of this, none of this that I'm talking about today makes it feel any better, whatever you're dealing with now or whatever you have dealt with in the past. This doesn't make it feel any better. I'm giving you some answers as to why God sometimes doesn't answer prayer and how he is still good and still powerful. And sometimes we can uh, believe this and agree with this in our head, but it hasn't hit our heart. It hasn't hit our emotions yet. And so this might be an exercise for you to say, okay, I'm going to believe this. I'm going to go forward with this, even if I don't feel it, even if I don't believe it yet in my, in my heart. Okay? So back to that. Ultimately, a selfish misunderstanding of God, it is a selfish misunderstanding of God to think that he should protect us from dealing with any difficulty in our world because our world is stained broken all kinds of things exist in our world that shouldn't aren't part of it but there they are it's the common human experience to go through a broken world the way that we do so when people are struggling with health situations and accidents and we lose people prematurely prematurely in our mind you have to understand that we're dealing with the most longevity of life we've ever dealt with with the most amount of medical technology we've ever dealt with with the most amount of resources we've ever dealt with that this is a uh, problem for us now because we've been too sheltered to deal with uh, real pain and, and difficulty look, look at what Romans 8 chapter 8 says verse 20 for the creation right talking about the world around us was subjected to frustration not by its own choice but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom. Paul says uh, the world around us is broken. It's stained. It's creating some of these problems that we're dealing with. It's not God who's doing this or allowing for this. It's the world around us that is broken. This is part of why we have this ultimate desire to bring God's kingdom into this world. To, and we long for a day when we can be in God's kingdom where it is free from the effects of sin and the effects of the fall. Right? We long for that. We want to create that in this world, and we, want to, we long for it in eternity. Look what, look what Peter says, 1 Peter 4.12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. When we go through difficulty, we, we think like, it's not fair, we shouldn't be dealing with it, it's not right. We think there's something weird happening to us. And Peter seems to say, this is the way the world was created. This is the life that we are dealing with. This is the life that we are, are living in, the world that we are living in. And God hasn't fixed this or changed this. And we'll get to more on why that is next week when we talk about will. But it's common human experience. And we have to step back and say, we're living in the best time ever for intervention on all of these things. Like, when someone gets a cancer diagnosis and they would be dead instantly a hundred years ago, sometimes they have years left to extend to be with family. 
You know, there are times when we're struggling with, uh, with infertility where we have opportunities and options now to create possibilities for fertility that didn't exist 100 years ago. There's still some hope medically to do some things. I mean, there's a system of being able to uh, adopt children who are in need and in a tough situation now that didn't exist, you know, hundreds of years ago. Like, there are things now that we are so, we should be grateful we get a chance to live in an age like this. And we shouldn't see ourselves as, as being cursed by God when we deal with suffering because suffering is part of the world we deal with. Hardship is part of our reality on this side of heaven. It's part of being part of this world, and it is why we long for God's kingdom both now and in eternity, why we create it now, why we long for it in eternity. Let's go on to the next one. Number five, God's world doctrine. You ask the question, does my prayer reflect God's character and his promises in the Bible? Might it it be out of line with his will for my life. And I'm going to talk more about will next week. Um, but I want you to, to stick with me here for a second. I'm going to go all the way back to Daniel. Okay, I'm going to go back to the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Shadrach and Benny, if you're, uh, is it, is it uh, VeggieTales? VeggieTales? Shadrach and Benny, um, where they're at odds with the king. And they're saying no. They're making a stand for their faith in King Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon, right? And in order to punish them, he basically says, fine, if you don't do what I'm asking you to do, if you don't bow, if you don't do uh, the thing that I'm asking everyone to do, and if you decide you want to you know, honor God in your, in your decisions, then you're going to f- basically be thrown into a fiery furnace. This is what they say. Shadrach and Benny replied to King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. This is good theology. Is God able to deliver them from the blazing furnace? Yes, he is. He's able to do anything. Will he? Is he willing? Yes, he should be willing. He is willing to do things that are outside of the realm of what we see in the natural world. So they say, yes, he's able to do it. And yes, we believe that he is willing. But look what they say in the next verse. But even... If he does not. So they're like creating space for God not to answer their prayer. They're saying, look, we know he's able to. We know he's willing to. He may not. And when, he, when and if he does not, it's not going to change anything about us. He says, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. No matter what he does, whether he does exactly what we've asked him to do or whether he doesn't come through and do exactly what we've asked him to do, we're not going to allow this moment, this difficulty, this situation to change how we see God. And I think a lot of us, we have this completely unbiblical worldview of who God is, that he's supposed to protect us from every single thing. And what we're really doing is we've got this doctrine that's way, way off. What we should be saying is our faith will not be shaken. Our faith is not in God's decision to protect me from suffering, right? But it's in him and who he is. I, I understand who he is. I'm going to apply who he is. I'm going to ask when I pray for uh, ridiculous things because that's what he's told me to do. I'm going to continue to ask for those things even when it feels like I should give up. 
I'm going to continue to trust him and say that he's good no matter what is going on in my life. And I won't be shaken from that when bad things and suffering happens in my life. We need a theology of suffering. We need doctrinally to understand that we're not protected from anything and it is not God's job to bounce all the bad things that happen in our life out of our life. That when we struggle, when we suffer, okay, God is still in control and as we see in Romans, he uses everything that happens in our life for good for those who believe in him. We have to step back and understand who he is and what he has promised to do and he has not promised to protect us from every horrible, awful, evil thing. It doesn't say anything about his character when we struggle and when we suffer according to the Bible. We've created this God who's supposed to be there to bounce like a bouncer at the door who says, nope, disease can't come in. Nope, sorry, this terrible situation, this accident can't come in. Nope, this relational difficulty, it can't come in. God's here to wrap me up like a nice warm blanket and keep anything bad from happening to me. That's not the God of the Bible. If anything, the God of the Bible is telling us that you live in a stained world broken by sin and you're going to deal with suffering and it's going to be part of the uh, experience that you have on earth, but you're going to long for something different. And that thing is on the other side of heaven. You create it here when you can by creating God's kingdom now and you also are going to get to live in that reality for eternity. If I walk into a store looking for a nice steak and the elements of a Caesar salad, which would be my you know, birthday meal, essentially, right? Nice ribeye and a Caesar salad. And I don't find those items in the store. It would be appropriate for me to ask, why aren't there any steaks or salad being stocked in the store? It doesn't make any sense to me. It's a perfectly appropriate question. But if that store was an auto parts store, and I walked into an auto parts store, and I said, where's the steak and where's the salad? It would be a ridiculous question for me to ask. And I think a lot of us are dealing with a doctrine that, has us believing something about God that is not accurate to who God is. We apply to him motives that aren't there. We apply uh, you know, our, our doubts and our disappointments in him and how we would have handled the situation. But as I love to always tell you guys, if we knew all the things that God knew, if we were in control the way God's in control, we would make all the same decisions that God makes. And p- suffering is part of our world. He is not going to create us a situation where you're protected completely from suffering. It's unfair to apply those terrible theological truths to him when we haven't, you know, we haven't read his word, we haven't spent time with him, we haven't asked him for his perspective, and we then want to be able to say a magic incantation and expect him to do things that don't make any sense. It's just it's not part of reality. God's never promised to answer our prayers unconditionally and you might say no he did he did in John we just read that at the beginning he said ask for it in my name and I'll give it to you uh, I want to read to you let me just make sure I have it here yes I want to read to you this quote from, from the book this is what uh, Pete has to say about it he says God never promised to answer our prayers unconditionally it is God's prayers in our mouths that are guaranteed to work. It is God's prayers in our mouths that are guaranteed to work. Here's how the Apostle John puts it. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, 
we know that we have what we asked of him. If we ask for anything according to his will, those are the times when he promises to come through to do those things, to show up, to do the, the stuff that we're, we're praying for. It is when we pray, this is according to Pete, according to his will, that God hears and acts, which means that miracles happen only when our prayers harmonize with God's broad desires for our lives. If you want to know how to pray in a way that doesn't leave your prayers unanswered, then you need to know how to be intimate in relationship with God and harmonize. Your prayers need to harmonize with what He's doing in the world. And when you find yourself praying His will, His prayers in your mouth, then you start to see things happen, open up, and, and the world starts to look completely different. Our prayers start to look completely different. I think when it comes down to this relationship with God and this intimacy, we might want to step back and ask ourselves these questions. Am I praying stupid, illogical prayers? guilty? Are my prayers likely to be conflicting with those of someone else? Are my prayers potentially detrimental to the natural order, to the lives of others? Am I expecting God to spare me from stuff that's just common human experience because of the fall? Does my prayer reflect God's character and his promises in the Bible? Might it be out of line with his will for my life? There's five reasons right there sometimes that our prayers go unanswered, and I'm going to give you ten more next week, starting with God's will and the wills of seven billion other people on earth and ending with the concept of spiritual warfare. What I want you to understand is that your prayers can go unanswered and God still can be good and still can be powerful in your life if you understand that the prayers that God eventually wants us to pray are prayers that are consistent with his will and his will for us. Ultimately, God is good. He cares for each of us like a son or a daughter. All right, I'll, I'll pick the story up next week and go through the next 10. Let me, let me pray for us today as we close up our time. Jesus, we don't uh, talk about this situation lightly. I, I understand that many of us have struggled with many difficult things. God, I've been there with people. And I know that you are there whenever we struggle in those moments. God, that you have been side by side with people as they struggle with infertility, with disease, or with uh, broken relationships, with um, praying for loved ones who are lost, with some of these really deep, difficult things to struggle through. And God, sometimes those things haven't ended the way we want them to. Help us to understand that you are still good. You are still in control, but that sometimes you don't step in and you don't change things. And there can be reasons that don't indict your goodness and that don't take away your your power help us to understand that if we were in your situation your shoes knew what you knew we'd make the same decisions god and, and i know sometimes that doesn't help would you just uh come close to people who are brokenhearted would you provide peace to those who are uh, feeling that disconnection god would you teach us how to pray your will your words your prayers in jesus name Amen. All right. Love you guys. See you next week.